It's never been easier to make a mediocre podcast, but it's never been harder <laughs> or more rewarding to make a really, really great show that serves audiences' needs. Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we share with you the business stories, ideas, and trends shaping the future of customer experience, told firsthand by the experts themselves in thought-provoking conversations. Hi, everyone. I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing. And today we're very excited to have Dan Meisner joining us on the Human Insight Podcast. Dan is Director of Audience Development at Pacific Content, which makes original podcasts for brands such as Ford, Slack, Dell Technologies, and countless others. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dan, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Janelle. It's great to be here. Awesome. Well, we're we're really excited to have you with us today. You know, we're big fans of many of the podcasts that Pacific Content helps create. Can you tell us a bit more about Pacific Content? Uh, what are some of the podcasts you've produced with brands? And can you tell us a little bit about the work you do as Director of Audience Development? Of course. Pacific Content is a podcast strategy and services company. And we work exclusively with brands who are interested in reaching the audiences that they care about through audio. And so you mentioned some of our clients, Ford, Slack, Dell. We do a lot of work with Charles Schwab, Morgan Stanley, lots of brands that folks would recognize. And when I say we're a podcast strategy and services company, part of what we do is we help brands who want to reach audiences through audio understand the audio landscape, including podcasting, help them figure out what kinds of shows they could make in order to serve the audiences that they want to reach. On the production side, we've got some of the best storytellers and sound designers, writers, people who craft audio products. We've got a world-class team of people who can actually help a brand make a show whether that's an interview-based show or a documentary-style show or a game show or really any kind of uh, show that the, the, the client is interested in. And in my world, the world of podcast audience development, what we do is we help our clients figure out the right balance between what they want to say and what audiences actually want to hear. And getting that balance right <laughs> is the art and the science of it. It's a little bit art and a little bit science. And if you tip too far into one direction, if you only make a show that is about what a brand wants to say, you're very rapidly approaching infomercial territory. And nobody or very few people are going to opt into an ongoing long-term relationship with a series of infomercials. And if you flip too far into the other direction where you're just making a show that is entirely about the audience and the audience's interest without any consideration to the brand's business objectives, well, then what's the reason for the show existing or why would a brand be making that show? So it's really about striking that balance between what is a show that serves the interests of not just the brand that is producing and publishing it, but also the needs and the desires and the places in people's lives where podcasts fit for 
the many, many people out there who are looking for something new, interesting, and fun to listen to. Yeah, what you just shared resonates uh, completely with with me and, and what we think about a lot uh, and help our own customers with as well is sort of thinking about, you know, how do you create these experiences, right? And in, in this case, it's audio or podcast experiences um, that meet people's needs yeah. and uh, meet sort of in the middle of what you want to portray and what your listeners want to hear from you or what your customers want to see or experience from you. So it's very kind of parallel worlds, if you will. You know, you mentioned that odd podcasts are kind of having their their moment, right, over the last 15 years or so. You know, to me, it feels like that's a great thing, but also can be quite an intimidating thing if you think about entering the world of podcasts and competing with some of the great shows out there. Yeah. Um, how do you... How do you think brands and companies should think about podcasts? Like, what are things to consider when they're potentially, you know, thinking about launching a podcast or producing a podcast? Or why is this potentially a really strong strategy for companies? And and what are things that they should be considering? Yeah, I, I think you're very right to point out the concern that some people have that the space is crowded and getting more crowded. You know, depending on who you ask, there are small single digit millions of podcasts, three, four, maybe pushing up to five million podcasts, depending on how you count, and tens of millions of podcast episodes, right? And I think it's easy to look at those numbers and say, it's too crowded or we've missed our opportunity. It's too late for us to achieve a meaningful audience in this medium. Sorry, <laughs> that ship has sailed. I disagree with that point of view. And while it is true that there are many, many podcasts out there and lots and lots of things that people could choose to listen to, there aren't nearly enough high quality episodes. There aren't enough really, really valuable audio additions to people's lives. It's never been easier to make a mediocre podcast, but it's never been harder <laughs> or more rewarding to make a really, really great show that serves audiences' needs. And you need only look at the number of videos on YouTube or the number of music tracks you could listen to in Spotify or another music streaming service. Nobody's arguing that we should stop making music because there's already enough music out there. Nobody's saying we should stop you know, making television or movies because every story that we could possibly tell in film or television has already been told. I feel kind of the same way about podcasts. <laughs> like, yes, there are lots of them, but there aren't nearly enough really great ones. And the good news is if you can make a great one, if you can make a show that adds value to people's lives, fits into their lives in a regular habitual opt-in kind of way, that is incredibly powerful. And you asked, what should brands be thinking about? I would encourage brands and really all podcasters to think about the affordances of the medium, right? What is audio really great at? And to make shows that play to those strengths. I believe so strongly that audio and podcasts in particular are really great for brands who are interested in brand level marketing, right? Improving things like brand awareness, brand favorability, recognition, dare I say thought leadership, 
really good for those things. Maybe less effective or less effective in a classical sense at selling widgets next week. If you need to sell widgets next week, you might be better off, (laughs) you know, doing some direct response marketing of the style that uses coupon codes and vanity URLs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or buy some social ads or, you know, get a blimp and fly it over a city that you care about. You know, those kinds of things might be more effective, but if what you want is a long-term opt-in relationship with an audience that you care about, the huge advantage that audio has and that podcasts have is they excel in time spent listening. What we see with a lot of our clients is that when you produce a really good half hour episode or a really good 45 minute episode, we see people spending almost the entire duration of the episode on average. We see retention rates 80%, 85%, 90%. We've seen 95% completion rates. Stuff that you cannot, or at least is really difficult to accomplish in video. We all know what video retention rates look like. And audio in terms of well-structured, well-designed audio holding listeners' attention for almost all or the entirety of the duration of an episode And having them come back again and again, week after week, episode after episode, season after season, it's that time spent listening. And I would gladly take somebody's time and attention and give them something in return on a regular basis than try and spam them or try and trick them into listening to a 30-second spot. So you might not know this, Dan, maybe you do, but we recently completed our fourth season of the Human Insight Podcast. Uh, so we've got 37 episodes and counting. And, you know, as we get started on this next season, we really wanted to see what we could do to make our podcast even better. We have been playing around with different things over the last four seasons, but, you know, thinking about what are ways that we could really up-level our game here. And as part of that thinking, we actually gathered some feedback from podcast listeners around the world. And we were super curious about things like how they experience podcasts, how they find them, um, what they love about certain podcasts. You know, we, we asked them lots and lots of questions. And I'd love to play a video clip for you. We can watch it together uh, and then discuss what this means and and kind of get your your thoughts on uh, what these folks share. Um, in this first clip, we're going to ask listeners uh, how they discover podcasts. You know, we talked about how there's so many options, um, and so we were curious how how do listeners find new podcasts to consume? So let's give it a give it a watch. How do you normally learn about new podcasts? Oh, I'm all about this. So. I research them um, on the Apple Podcast app. Um, I'll Google if I'm looking for something new. I love the, like, you know, if you like true crime, you might like this podcast. I guess normally probably it's mentioned in another show or podcast I listen to. Um, but I have a, a group of friends and family that we're constantly referring podcasts to one another. Pretty much I would look at you know the top ranking podcasts maybe i'll look at different categories to see maybe something i can find that i'll be interested in how i usually learn about podcasts is um i like to search it um so usually in youtube as well 
in terms of the topics and and um, stuff I like to listen to. Mainly, I I think I I have discovered a podcast in YouTube, and then I will listen if it's available in in Spotify. I will listen on Spotify, but uh, mainly I think I have discovered um, mostly the podcast in YouTube. But normally it's in the podcast. I'll, I'll hear um, podcast period in Google searches, the podcast period on YouTube uh, search results. Actually, that's another big one too. Uh, so I'd say, yeah, the YouTube videos, because I'll do a lot of YouTube videos in the background too and just kind of have them on and listen. Certainly lots of, of different ways people are discovering podcasts. Dan, what are your initial reactions to what these <laughs> folks just shared? What I just heard and saw are so many echoes of common answers in the research that we have available in the podcast industry. So some of the places that I turn to for broad podcast industry research are uh, Edison Research and their Infinite Dial Report. I also look to the work that is done here in Canada uh, through the Canadian Podcast Listener Survey. They take a survey-based approach and ask podcast listeners lots and lots of questions about their consumption habits. And one of the most important questions and one of the questions that I think a lot of podcast marketers are most interested in is where do you find new stuff? How do you get turned on to new shows, new episodes? How do you discover things? And what we heard in those voices I think are a pretty good representation of what shows up in the research. The most common modes of discovery are hearing about a new podcast on another podcast, a recommendation from a trusted voice, a recommendation from a host or a show that you already have a relationship with, recommendations from friends and family through word of mouth, in person or over social. You know, that's a huge part of how many people discover new shows. In-app search inside platforms like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, but also straight up vanilla Google searches and those standard search engine results pages, also pretty big, especially when folks are looking for something particular. I'm looking for an interview with a particular person, or I'm looking for um, you know more insight into a subject that I'm researching. And then also this idea of discovery on video platforms, right? So much is, has been uh, in the zeitgeist in the podcast world over the past couple of months as YouTube has hinted at their plans and ambitions for podcasting. And I think uh, we shouldn't discount YouTube as a, a discovery, a mode of discovery for audio content, even if people <laughs> are consuming podcasts on YouTube with their screen off or their phone in their pocket, right? Just because there's a video component doesn't mean people are watching the video component, which is a really important point that uh, my, my friend and colleague Jeff Vidler made to me the other day. We've also got some research in uh, the Canadian Podcast Listener Survey about the number of regular podcast listeners who have tried a new podcast, they were recommended a show or they discovered it through their, uh, their own searching, or maybe got a, a recommendation from a friend or a family. There's research into how many regular podcast listeners tried a new show and then gave up on it. And a lot of podcast listeners spend less than the length of an entire episode before deciding this isn't for me. 
this is not the right show for me or where I'm at or doesn't fit into my life in a meaningful way. And I think for creators, for podcasters, that is such an important insight that you have to make a really great first impression. You've got to create a really obvious answer to the question, why should I add this to my listening queue? Why should I hit that follow or subscribe button? Why would I make a place for this in my life alongside all the other things I could choose to spend time with? And one of the saddest things in podcasting is the missed opportunities to make a great first impression. I think a lot about what I call product packaging for podcasts which is my shorthand for all of the non-audio elements of your show. As audio producers and as podcast people, I think we're very naturally focused on how do we make the best sounding thing? How do we choose the right music? How do we, you know, what mic should I buy? You know, all these kinds of questions around audio. How do I edit it so it sounds great? We focus so much on the audio product, which is right and good and very understandable, but sometimes we forget that people consume podcasts with their eyes long before they ever listen to a single second of audio. And so decisions around the visual identity of your show, decisions around the copy that is included, the title of your show, the author field, the publisher, how frequently you release episodes, how long your episodes are, what are the words in the description, and making sure that those are optimized for not just the humans who are going to see them inside a podcast app, but for the platforms themselves, which are increasingly relying on transcripts and human-entered metadata to surface algorithmic recommendations. The greatest show in the world with the worst product packaging doesn't stand a chance. And I think as audio people and as people who love this medium, we should be, yes, thinking about the audio product we make, but also thinking about that experience of the new listener who just got a recommendation for our show. How do we create the best possible first impression? And so much of that is tied up in the product packaging, the non-audio elements to your show. And I've been talking a lot about copy and artwork. This extends to what's your website? What are your social accounts? What is the video expression of your show? All of those are potential places for people to form a lasting first impression. It's a way for you to make a promise to a listener that then your episodes deliver on. Yeah, absolutely. And they have so much context too before before they're jumping in. You know, some of the um some of the things that you're talking about there is reminding me of, of an article that you wrote recently called Only We. And yeah. I really enjoyed the article. Can you can you share a bit about uh what the article is about and what your perspective is there? For sure. Uh and total credit to to Mark Schaefer for that phrase only we. I first heard the phrase only we from Tom Webster of Edison Research, and I think he attributes it back to to Mark. Only we is the idea that podcasters of all stripes should make the show that they are uniquely suited to make. What is the show that only we could make? What is the show that nobody else could make even if they wanted to? And so in other facets of life, this might be framed as what's your unfair advantage, right? 
And sometimes the only we is a result of access that you have, right? Here are the guests that we can get that nobody else can get. Sometimes the only we is about a point of view or a worldview. Sometimes the only we is about subject matter expertise. I'm not here to tell you what your only we is, but this is your moat. There are so many shows out there that are effectively the same show as everybody else's show. What is the show that only you could make? So from an editorial standpoint, I love only we because it's a really, really clear lens. Could somebody else make this show and would it be the same? If the answer is yes, (laughs) I don't think your show is designed especially well. Only we also applies to marketing. It applies to how you build an audience for your show and how you build a show for your audience. The only we when it comes to marketing means how are we going to let the right people know about our podcast in ways that we have that nobody else has. So we do uh, a fair amount of work with the, um, with the organization Mozilla. They make the Firefox web browser. Mozilla has a podcast called, called IRL, Online Life is Real Life. The last couple of seasons have been hosted by Manoush Zamarodi. She's wonderful. It's a really, really good show about internet and internet health and internet culture and technology and society. And they've got an upcoming season that I'm really excited about. Mozilla has a web browser. You open up a new tab in Firefox. (laughs) They've got some pretty valuable real estate there. You can put a podcast right there inside the product that adds value to people's lives. Because if you're the kind of person who loves and regularly uses Firefox, you are more likely to care about the health of the internet. And so only we for Mozilla means making a show about the health of the internet, because that is something they are uniquely suited to have a point of view and they do a lot of work on. But the way that Mozilla markets their podcast also has an only we element because only Mozilla owns the Firefox web browser and they can use that tool to reach a lot of people who are self-identified podcast listeners, but maybe more importantly, they can reach people who are not yet podcast listeners. They can not just preach to the converted, they can grow the pie for everybody. And that is what I think one of the big values of brands in the podcast space is. They can reach people who are not yet podcast listeners and not just turn them on to a show, turn them on to an entire medium. That's a powerful thing. Yeah, I love that. I love the principle of only we and the the example of Mozilla really brings that to life. Back to the clips, I want to play another one for you. In the second one, we are asking podcast listeners first, uh, did they listen to the end of an episode and... Did they leave a rating or review? Mm. So let's hear what they said. Have you ever left a review or rating on a podcast? I've never left a review or rating because I never saw an option to do so. And usually I'm like listening to it in the car or like while I'm doing something. So I'm not like actively looking at the screen to like leave a review, if that makes sense. Okay. So I don't know. I wasn't in love with the ending. So I like that your call to action to go to user testing is that it starts off with that immediately at the end, because you have to remember most people are going to, or a lot of people will just fast forward through it once they've finished that episode. 
Um, I thought the very, very end, you know, leave a like or whatever it was you said. Um, I mean, kind of cliche, but if you don't ask, then less people will do it. So I understand the point in that. And I've never left a reviewer rating on a podcast. I guess I've just never thought about it, to be honest. And have you ever left a review or rating on a podcast? Um, to be honest, I, I never have. And the reason why is I don't rate things, to be honest. Like, even when it comes to, like, um, YouTube videos or or, or Instagram posts or etc. like that, I, I'm a, I tend not to give my feedback. And that's how I've always operated, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, um, there's no particular reason why. Yes, I usually... Uh, I, I, I'm usually not the guy to leave readings on the content he consumes, to be honest, or reviews. Um, it's just, I don't know, I guess it's probably not so much of my thing, or it's just like, because anything today is so, how to call it, it's like so, all the content we consume is so, so quickly consumed, you know, and almost in a multitasking fashion, you probably don't even, often don't even bother interacting with them on such a level. Have you ever left a review or rating on a podcast? I don't usually leave reviews, but I mean, uh, it, it'd be good to that time, but not, I never do it all the time because, uh, I don't know, I just, sometimes I don't have much input to say from the podcast itself, so I don't have any additional input. To, um, I don't have enough, I don't feel like my review would be any any uh, help to them at this point, so I just kind of leave it blank. I don't do any reviews. I just stick it as that, nothing else. We heard people talking about the value of reviews and ratings and saying things like, you know, it probably should, but most, and actually I think everyone said, you know, I've never left a, a, a yeah. rating or a review for a podcast. Is, is that surprising? I feel like <laughs> every show asks for a rating and review at the end of it. This is maybe one of my favorite things to talk about in part because it very quickly enters the realm of folk wisdom. You have probably heard most podcasters say some variation on the following. Please leave us a rating or review. It really helps new people find the show. You've probably heard some version of that many, many times. And I, it's, it's almost like a thought virus or <laughs> this thing that is um, kind of like on radio, just saying what time it is or what the weather is. It's a thing that people say out of habit or out of instinct based on this sort of folk wisdom that somehow leaving ratings or reviews is going to propel your show higher up on charts that you might find in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And one of the great things that's just happened over the past couple of months is that Apple themselves, keeper of the mysterious algorithm that generates the charts, has shed a little more light into what does and doesn't impact chart performance. And so this is publicly available on Apple's website. You can go read how the charts work, not in great detail, because of course they want to avoid people trying to game the system. But they say, here are the factors that lead to people moving up and down the charts. Ratings and reviews do not directly impact chart position. Doesn't mean people don't think that's the case, 
but Apple has said ratings and reviews do not directly factor in. Now, of course, indirectly, of course they do, because ratings and reviews, in my view, are a form of social proof. If I arrive at a podcast and it has 3,000 ratings or 3,000 star ratings and uh, even more reviews or even fewer reviews, whatever, if I see a lot of uh, ratings and I see that the average rating is four and a half out of five, that is social proof saying other people thought this was good, right? I did some research into this. When I looked into Apple Podcasts and Apple Podcasts ratings and reviews in particular, what I found is that most shows in the US have zero ratings. The vast majority of podcasts in the United States of America have zero ratings. So I'm not surprised to learn that lots of people don't leave them. Um, and when you dig into the numbers, most of the ratings that do exist are five-star ratings. The most popular response is five stars. The second most popular response is four stars followed by one star. So you either like it, love it, or hate a show. And, uh, yeah, not surprised at all. Should people ask for ratings and reviews? Yes, but be intentional about it. Why are you asking for ratings and reviews? I would ask for ratings and reviews because they are useful social proof. And I want my show, when people look at it inside a platform that offers ratings and reviews, to have lots of good ratings and reviews. But asking for ratings and reviews by rote, or because you've got some mistaken belief that it's going to help you fly up the charts, I wouldn't do it for that reason. Ariel Nissenblatt, who's a really terrific uh, podcast industry person, has advocated for changing your CTAs very regularly, right? Maybe one week it's leave us a rating and review. Maybe the next week is send us an email. Maybe the next week it's, hey, we're doing something really cool over on social. Why don't you hang out with us there? But if you just by rote ask for ratings and reviews every single episode forever until the end of time, I think you can reasonably expect diminishing returns on that. So keep it up and be intentional about what you're asking people to do because reviews unto themselves are useful, but mostly as social proof. But mm -hmm. if you, you know, we, just an example of a thing you could do that's not asking for ratings and reviews. We work with the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. They don't ask for ratings and reviews. They ask people to email with feedback because then they've got the name of a human being and they can reply and they can maybe have a deeper conversation than they could in a one-way platform like Apple, where creators cannot respond to, at least at the time of this recording, creators cannot respond to comments that are left in Apple podcasts. Yeah, it's a great point around providing your listeners an opportunity to have a conversation with you versus, you know, the one-way feedback. And you're so right about it just being part of the language that people use in this creator economy. Um, I have two children who, you know, watch a lot of things on YouTube and try to make their own YouTube videos. Yeah. And that is one of the first things that they say, yeah. hi guys, you know, uh, remember to like sure and subscribe, to thumb this video up. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, it's just part of like people do it in their sleep type of thing. Awesome. Well, this has been fantastic, Dan. I really appreciate your perspective and expertise. This is uh, great learnings for listeners, but also great learnings for us as we you know, look to improve our podcast moving forward. 
Well, thank you again for having me and congratulations. That's a, a decent number of episodes under your belts and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, the upcoming season. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, please share it with a friend or coworker. If you think it could have been better, let us know. Email us at podcast at usertesting.com. Thanks. Thanks.